I'm going to minister to you from the word, the word H-O-P-E, hope. We fix our hope on the living God. So mainly I'm going to spend some time in the book of Jeremiah and the book of Lamentations written by Jeremiah. Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet. God inserted him into the land to proclaim things to the nation. They were oppressed by Babylon, by Babylonian captivity, which was worldly bondage, a secular kind of controlled by flesh and man, and yet these people had an endeared heart toward, toward the Lord, and they were struggling, but God promised them hope in the middle of their situation. Everybody say hope. hope. Proverbs 13, 12 talks about hope deferred makes the heart sick. And for that matter, there's another verse, anxiety in the heart of a man will weigh it down. Now, we, are, we are told that uh, heart disease is one of the big prevalent problems in the developing world. But I'm telling you from the scripture, there are heart issues, things of the spirit of, of a man, the things of, that are central that only God can, can heal, only Jesus can restore. And uh, Proverbs 13, 12 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Nothing wrong with having desires. Nothing wrong with believing for their fulfillment. Uh, and, uh, the, in fact, God has called us to believe that he exists and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. There's a reward system, and it's completely okay to be stimulated by this idea of hope. Completely acceptable for us parents to have hopes for our children. It's completely acceptable for us as citizens of, of a nation to, to have hope for the other citizens of our nation. And to not go to cynicism and not be, you know, just dismissive, and, but to really carry a quotient of confidence about us. And uh, God wants us to face life with bravery. God doesn't want us to be discouraged. I think discouragement is not only a temptation, I think it is even a sin that we should resist. He said, do not be afraid. Fear not, only believe, only be strong and very courageous. He drummed into Joshua and the people over and over again, four times in the first chapter of Joshua. Only be strong and very courageous. Can you say it? Only be strong and very courageous. It is important and, in fact, imperative that we get a hold of this. Only I, I want to say a distinction between baseless optimism, worldly hope, which is just based on how enthusiastic the hoper is then it is based on our personalities, then it's based on our, you know, wiring, you know. Uh, but, but the hope that comes from God that springs eternal is based on how faithful God is. It's a completely different thing. We, we fix our hope on the living God. Gilbert Benkin said this, other men see only a hopeless end, but the Christian rejoices in an endless hope. Other men see only a hopeless end. When Christopher Hitchens died, the great uh, author and novelist, and uh, he had a circle of his friends that were uh, also atheistic, and they said, he's gone into the eternal oblivion. Other men see only a hopeless end, but the Christian rejoices in an endless hope. Hallelujah. I, you know, I had so many near-death experiences as a child. I remember at least two times when my life flashed before my eyes. Has anyone ever had that happen to you? It's a real thing. You hear about it. 
the doctors and medical people would say there's this flush of this chemical DMT in your brain and that causes all this flourishing of things of thought, whatever. I saw that and God delivered me. I, I've been delivered so many times that I probably ought to go back and document all of them and share some of them because it's radical. It's radical at this point. I'm like a man alive from the dead. And when, you know, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead in the New Testament, there were people that went to just see Lazarus. And Jesus was there, but they went to see Lazarus, which I think is a trip. Can you imagine? It's like, oh, hey, Jesus. And hey, I want to, we'll get to you later. I want to talk to you, Lazarus. But did you know that in a lot of cases, people really don't, they, they don't know how to regard Jesus, but you're the Lazarus that is attractive and your testimony is compelling. And, and, it, and actually, God uses it. You're the life-transforming, miraculous, substantial uh, answers to prayer and the results that have happened over and over again in your life and mine that constitute what is called a testimony. And, and that is your testimony. Everybody say testify. testify. In a court, people that are witnesses come in and they say, this is my testimony, this is what I've observed. We in the court of life, we say, this is what I've observed. This is, even though the invisible God is invisible, he's revealed himself clearly through what, through what has been made. And by the way, he's revealed himself to me and I'm changed. I got an invitation from a gentleman, a traveling business guy. Uh, he asked me to go to breakfast with him. I have known him for a while. And so I met downtown and we sat down and had breakfast. And he said, how did you get into the ministry? You know, he's a secular Jewish guy, and he's asking me, what makes you tick? What makes you tick? And you know, I found myself in this moment, the world is a stage, and right now the spotlight just went on me, right over my bacon and eggs. Patsy just, I just heard Patsy pray this, God, help us in these moments to be effective with the people that God, you're compelling us to speak to. In fact, I just want to say this. You know why you've been so demonically attacked? To keep you busy from your primary call to be a worshiper of God and to be a person that shows forth his presence in the earth. You're anointed, man. You're empowered by the Holy Spirit. But the enemy has been fighting, fighting, fighting to berate you, to belittle you, to get hope deferred in your life so it makes your heart sick so you're not operating on all eight cylinders try to bum you out, try to get you distracted and get each one of us off of our A game. And it's gonna demand a, a bit of a fight. Some of you have been fighting for your life. Some of you have been dealing with some depression. It took something for you to get here. There's even a winter kind of a thing where you, we don't get any vitamin D, you know. Those are real things. But yet still, there is something that we can get a hold of today, tonight, uh, just in these moments. We just had a half hour of praise and worship, and he inhabits the praises of his people. Also, hey, where two or more are gathered together in his name, there he is in our midst. I remember times it took a lot for me to get to church. I was tired, been irritable, maybe gotten in an argument with my wife, or we just kind of carnal, just kind of, uh, let's just binge watch TV and eat cheese chips. No, we're I think I'll go to church and see if the Lord will speak something to me. And I'm telling you, God is going to speak something to you right now. Listen, let's go to Jeremiah chapter 29. I want to, I want to just go back and forth on Jeremiah and Lamentations. 
and just remind you of a great scripture. 597 B.C., Jeremiah speaks to the exiles stuck in Babylon, people who love God but are under oppression. They've gotten in a situation, the nation as a whole, 70 years of exile and bondage. Promises were made, however, in the midst of it. And, and Jeremiah is telling them to build in spite of all the oppression, multiply in spite of all the oppression, ignore false prophets, and keep your hope alive in spite of all the oppression. He said in, in verse 10, For thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans. Look at verse 11. Get a hold of this. You that have been through some loss, you that have been disappointed, you that have been through some anxiety, you that have been through some flat seasons. I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. I know the plans. This is very assuring. This is God speaking through the prophet Jeremiah. And remember when he called Jeremiah, he said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were appointed, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. He said, oh God, I'm a kid. I can't speak. He said, alas, Lord God, I'm just a child. He said, don't say you're just a child. For everywhere I send you, you will go, and I will have you tear down and rebuild. He said, I watch over my word to perform it. Jeremiah 1.12, I watch over my word to perform it. Joel said, strong is he who carries out his word. David said that his word is forever settled in heaven. He said the entrance of his word gives light, and it gives understanding to the simple. John proclaimed that Jesus, the word made flesh, dwelt among us. Wow. Hallelujah. Everybody say word. Even John Lennon wrote a song called uh, The Word. Say the word and you'll be free. He didn't know what he was saying, but he was yearning for something. He, he, I don't know if he ever got centered on it, but Ecclesiastes chapter 3, God said eternity in his heart. I've had people tell me, oh no, I don't believe in God. Well, he believes in you. I've watched people come to know the Lord. I would say the height of my appreciation, one of the greatest joys of my life is watching someone who the gospel is foreign to come to terms with Jesus and surrender their life to Jesus. That, you guys, is the greatest thing. The other day, a girl who had cancer, young mother, testified at the ladies' breakfast that she, she had such bad case of cancer, her leg, she had to put a lift in her shoe because it damaged her leg, and after prayer, her leg grew completely out. She could throw away the, the lift. That's cool. That's awesome. That's like, whoa, that's awesome. But I'll tell you, it's nothing like somebody who said, I, I don't believe in God. I don't, know, I don't know Jesus, to where they say, I want Jesus to come into my life and just have them totally change. I watched God do this. You've watched God do this. God did. How many of you, you say, man, I, I'm, that, I'm that person. I'm that woman. I'm that man. How many of you say, Jesus turned my life around? Let me see your hands. Well, then you understand something of this hope. You understand something of what I'm talking about. Listen to this. I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans, look at this, for welfare. Do you know what that word is in the Hebrew, welfare? It's the Hebrew word shalom. Shalom, you guys know that Hebrew word. What does shalom mean? Peace, welfare, positivity, 
solidity, good things. Pastor Virgil texts me, something good is going to happen to you today. Say this with me, something good is going to happen to me today because Jesus lives big in me. I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for peace, for shalom, for stability, security, for welfare. What does welfare mean? That you will fare well and not calamity. Not calamity. What is calamity? In the King James, it's evil. Or not for evil, bad, distress, adversity, misery, vexation, trouble, heaviness, harm. In the dictionary, it's an event resulting in great loss or misfortune. And God is saying, I plan things other than calamity for you. I remember when the flood hit. Some of you weren't even born yet. How many of you were born after 1993? Let me see your hands. You're born in a context of overcomers. Let me just tell you, it isn't just old rhetoric from the people that, you know, were older than you. We really have been through some stuff, and I want to tell you, you're in an environment of hope, you're in an environment of faith, and of love. And the success kind of concept that I'm presenting to you guys is valid, and it is of high value that we can actually seize upon this thing and actually trust God and believe God that over the course of our days, we're going to see the breakthrough, we're going to see healing on our land. Young people, listen, man. When I was a kid, it was weird in Southern California where I lived. It was weird. And it was alarming. And people were really pretty upset. And uh, what I saw God do was manifest plans that he had for us, plans for welfare and not calamity to give us a future and a hope. And I saw people get saved every week at my high school. Teachers were being bold to share the gospel. And it can happen again. I talked to a guy from Texas, and I said, oh, it was so weird in California. He said later to me, it was really weird in Texas, too. And that was President George Bush, who had gotten saved. Billy Graham led him to the Lord. People ridicule people. But the bottom line is where you stand with Jesus. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not calamity to give you a future and hope. Everybody say future and hope. Now, the word future in the Hebrew is a cord of attachment. And uh, the seemingly loose ends will tie together. When I was a kid, before all this wireless technology, there were cables that they laid across transatlantic for phone calls. When I was young, there was a delay on phone calls. When I was on my first mission trip, I called Pastor Patsy, and there was such a delay that it, it was so awkward, and it went through wires. And I remember my dad would bring home copper wire, wiring that he would use for his bonsai trees and things like that. So I got to see a lot of uh, cables with telephone wires. Does anybody remember those cables that were filled with those small, tiny wires that had all the plastic sheathing on them? So there was a point in my life when I was a young man where I felt like my life was like a frayed bundle of detached wires, just all just like a... Just like a bird's nest. Like if you ever cast your fishing line and it just becomes a bird's nest and it takes you, everybody else is catching fish and you're trying to pick out your, 
your mess, you know, it's like I've got my spool is all bird's nest up. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And then occasionally our lives can feel like that. That was the case for Israel. They felt like their lives were in a frayed mess. And God's saying, listen, man, I'm going to tie the loose ends together, the cord of attachment. I know how to weave everything that seems to be all detached and fragmented and fractured, and I know how to work everything after the counsel of my will. I will cause all things to work together for your good. What the enemy meant for harm, God will turn around for good. Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, in the life of Joseph, he said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good so that by it many people would be alive. This is such a big deal that you are actually poised to snatch people out of the flames and actually be life-changing in the scope and impact of your life. Your prayer, your presence, your personality, your personhood, your sharing of the gospel matters. Be bold. You're a carrier of the presence of God. Be aware of it. When you pray, believe. Expect healing to happen. Expect impartation to happen. Believe God for things to happen in your situation, even right now. You bring your kids to church. They might just be under the, under the chairs coloring, but they're picking stuff up. You, you know, they may for a moment just appear like they're not getting what you're, what you're trying to present to them. Train them up, though, in the way they should go, because when they're old, they will not depart. Come on, man. What you're downloading in them, they'll carry for the rest of their lives. Be in faith for it. Wherever they go, whatever they put their hand to, they're, they're, they're designed to thrive. Hallelujah. So with these guys, he says, look, I know the plans I have for you, plans for welfare and not calamity to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me, Jeremiah 29, 12, and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me, and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. And I will be found by you, declares the Lord. Wholehearted seeking equals wholehearted finding. And I'll tell you the, what I felt in the praise and worship at a certain point, we pressed past the surface and went into the deep waters with the Lord. Not in some sort of hyped up emotionalism, but just pressing into God's presence. Because in his presence, there's fullness of joy. In his presence, there's abounding wisdom. In his presence, there are supernatural answers. How many of you have issues? You're like, I need a breakthrough and I need wisdom. Well, God, is, he, he withholds no good thing from those who walk uprightly. James chapter 1, verse 5 says that if any of us lack wisdom, we're to ask God. He says, then you'll call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. Today I walked, I went outside my house. I walked down the driveway. I walked down the street. I got up to the street. I decided to turn right. I went down the hill. I turned to the right. I went up the hill. I went all the way to the end. Went back to the back of the subdivision. I walked all the way through came all the way back, prayed the whole time. And it was a help to me. I started out just kind of like a piece of cardboard. When I got back, I felt like an enlightened piece of cardboard. <laughs> right? That's better, isn't it? That is progress. It's like hallelujah, because I had spent some time with the greater one. And it wasn't like I whooped up a deal. Ooh, that's marvelous prayer life, Pastor Jeff. I'm at the point in my Christian life where it's, no, I'm desperate. I really need God. I'll always have, and I always will. And here's what Jeremiah said in Lamentations. Let's go to Lamentations, and I want to show you something super cool. We don't have time to read the whole chapter. I'm only going to read a couple of portions of it. But I want to show you that Jeremiah 
is sharing in Israel's affliction. I think about its people. I think about the calling in that region and the amazing spiritual prophetic purposes and how much the nations hate that place and the devil hates those people, but yet the hand of God is upon them because of Abraham and because of the covenant that God said he will make and how faithful he is in his amazing stick to So let the people gnash their teeth and hate. Let the haters hate. And man, because the prophetic plan of God is coming to pass. And it's awesome. And when you get around that, you're just like, man, I love you, man. And you are God's people, and this is holy. And God, touch this place and do something great in this moment. So Jeremiah's like, man, this is... So many problems, things, hindrances, disobedience, failure, the results of that. And yet, Jeremiah says in Lamentations chapter 3, verse 19, he said, Remember my affliction, my wandering, the wormwood, the bitterness. He's, he's pondering all this hardship and all this challenge. Remember, he's called the weeping prophet. He's just gone through his life in the anguish of seeing the things the way they are, and this life is just not so easy for him. And he says, I see all this stuff. My heart's weighed down. He says, surely my soul remembers and is bowed down within me. Have you ever thought of things that just kind of make you stoop? Difficulties of your past, disappointments, failings on your own, on your own part. The worst kind of thing is our own self-inflicted misery. That's the hard, hardest thing to bear. But then just hurtful things, harsh words, misunderstandings, belittlement, put down, all that stuff, hard times. And my, I think about this stuff, and my soul is bowed down. But then he changes and shifts gears in verse 21. He, he shifts, and his meditation starts to become sweet. He starts to think on higher and better things. There's a, he's almost in reverse, and then he goes, wait a minute. I'm going to shift and go forward from here. He said, I'm thinking of all this other stuff, the affliction, the wandering, the bump, bad situations, the bitterness, the... I mean, and we could collect, how many of you have been through some things? Let me see your hands. So it's called baggage. Well, we need to untether from that baggage. That's why I think we enjoy kids, because they just don't have any baggage. And if you're, you know, I remember a lady goes, I, when I was brand new out of Bible school, I was really, you know, excited. And she said, well, you know, you're going to, you're going to. And she just put a wet blanket. Her whole thing was like to just put a wet blanket on me. And I was like, don't put out my fire, man. But life can do that. And that's why he said in Ecclesiastes 12, he said, remember your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come when your soul has no delight in them. Remember your creator. He created you. He's creative, and he's your creator. Think about your creator. He's creative. I mean, it made, it made perfect sense to me that this girl who had battled cancer as a young person and now is married with children, and her leg grows out. Makes perfect sense. Makes perfect sense to me. But I'm up here preaching in a building that was full of putrefied, nasty mold and muddy water. And God's showcasing his glory in a place that had tremendous hardship. Totally makes sense to me that God will move on people groups and move on people's difficult stations in life and manifest his presence in amazing ways. The hippies were in this counterculture, anti-establishment experiment of insanity of immorality and craziness and drugs 
And they got so messed up and got so untethered and so far out in it, they started crying out, even in the midst of all the false religions and all the crazy ideals and all the drugs and all this kind of stupidity. And Jesus comes in and goes, are you done? You need some help? Is it working for you? Come on. And I watch all these people come into the wholesome, true, wonderful, breakthrough power of the living God. And then God goes, through the whole church, all the religious formalism, he starts touching different groups and bringing them into the fullness of the power of God. Hallelujah. The Bible addresses our origin, our purpose, our identity, and our destiny. Our origin, in the beginning, God created. He originated all of it, the heavens and the earth, to let there be light. He made, he made all these things. And then he made us for purpose, be fruitful and multiply. He gave us identity. God made us in his image and in his likeness. And then because we fell, he sent Jesus to give us opportunity for a new birth. Adam gave us the first birth. Jesus gave us a new birth and a new start and a new life and destiny. First Timothy 1.17 says, Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Eternity, destiny, hallelujah, perpetual existence, continuance. So here's what Jeremiah said. This I recall to mind, verse 21, therefore I have hope. Okay, what? Look at this. This I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. This I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. This I recall to mind. Before, he was thinking of his wandering, the affliction, the harsh treatment, the bad disappointments, the bad circumstances, right? And then he says, but now this I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. This is what I'm gonna meditate on. This is what I'm gonna get a grasp on. This is what I'm gonna recall. Therefore I have hope. Look at this. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease. Never stop. God values humanity and it's not like humanity's conditional love. God loves people. He loves mean people. He loves lost people. Jesus didn't come to save the righteous, but sinners. So there's hope for all of us. His compassions never fail. His compassions never run out, never stop. They never come to an end. Look at this. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Who is glad that sorrow may last for the evening, but joy comes in the morning. I mean, I've, I've taken that literally at times. And the Bible says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. So as young married couple, we, we made it a resolve. Hey, let's not, if we have any conflict in our, in our relationship, let's deal with it before we go to sleep. We actually used it as a discipline. And when we were in those harsher, more immature days, we'd be like, hey, I'm sorry, do you forgive me? Or I forgive you for that. It's like, well, hey, and then we, then we start negotiating. It's like, wait a minute. You're baiting me to even acknowledge. Hey, so hold on a second. Oh, yeah, okay. Well, I repent for, for my part. Well, then you're saying that I have. So, and then you, so, sometimes it gets right up to 11.59 and 59 seconds. And then it's like, all right, then we'll resolve it. How many of you know what I'm talking about? That'll work for you. Just don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Because the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. 
Great is your reliability. Listen, when he says, I know the plans I have for you, plans for welfare and not calamity to give you a future and a hope, you can, you can bank your life on it. 